All right, well, let's, let's see something worthwhile, which is God's word. Uh, please turn in your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of John. We continue in our study, John chapter 5, and we pick it up in verse 19. John 5, uh, verse 19, and this is God's word. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if it's this way for every surgery, but um, I, I know it is, uh, I know it was with my, my knee replacement. Um, before I had surgery, I had to make sure I had a will, and I had to make sure that I had a, uh, what do you call the thing where you give it to the uh, power of attorney? Uh, so if something happens to me, uh, Tammy has in her control uh, the, the right to make decisions about my life, all right? And uh, so it's, I'm turning that completely over because I'm incapacitated. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm opening with that illustration. And with all um, illustrations of, of uh, mortal fabric trying to describe, describe something divine, it falls apart quickly. But um, a person with power of attorney over my life in the hospital doesn't mean that they can uh, go sell my car, it means that they have power over what's happening in the hospital there. Um, and so it is with, it's not so with Jesus. Um, and precisely what the writer is trying to get across is that, that uh, the authority that Jesus has is the full authority of the, of the Father in all respects, all right? That in short, Jesus is God. Um, in, uh, in one point, it is this. Jesus has absolute equality with the Father. That is a critical thing for the gospel, that Jesus has absolute equality with the Father. Um, it's not some sliver of redemptive responsibility over which Jesus has authority. It's not some little uh, you know, uh, labor that Jesus has. It is that Jesus is himself God. Jesus has a divine personhood. He shares attributes with God. Other theological words are essence, uh, and that's some people debate whether that's the right thing to say. Uh, some people talk about... Um, uh, that he's life giver, he's judge of all things we see here in our passage, uh, savior of fallen humanity by grace. He's all of these things. Um, and a shorthand for this passage might be this. In verse 23, it says, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. In other words, Jesus has absolute equality with the father. In fact, that was one of the hard things for the Jews of the day um, to deal with. Not only did they have this guy showing up on the scene saying, hey, I'm the one who was sent. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. There's these hints. Uh, sometimes it's overt. Sometimes it's, it's cloaked. Uh, sometimes it's in the shadows. 
um, until it starts to get uh, toward the end of his ministry, then it, it becomes more and more clear. But even in this scene, they know what Jesus is saying. Um, but one of the hardest things for them was this plurality of God. Um, in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Bible's very clear. There is one God, the living God, the one true God. There's one God. There are no others. There's one God. Uh, and yet, in the creation account, I mean the first chapter of Genesis, after a repeated, and God, and God, and God, and God said, let there be light, there was light, and God, and God, at least 15 times, just in a very short space, in the first chapter of Genesis, and God, and God, and God. And then, in relation to God's creating human beings, it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, that's in the first chapter of Genesis. After all these, and God did this, and God said, and God, so God, and God, so God, there was one God, one God, one God, and all of a sudden, it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, it's very interesting that that is said when God makes human beings, uh, and it shows us something of, of um, the harmony within the Trinity, the harmony within God, that God is relational, that God is communicative. He makes us in his image, and suddenly he describes himself with a plurality. Um, and, and, it, and every Jew would know that, and we should know that too. We say there's one God, absolutely, but then there's this strange, mysterious plurality, and you will sh- see that show up throughout the Old and New Testament over and over and over again. In fact, I did a, a, a thing on the, the Trinity a number of years ago. I may need to bring that out again. But um, it's all over the Old Testament and certainly all over the New Testament, uh, starting with the Gospels. So that plurality of God can be demonstrated in the Scriptures over and over again. And um, you'll notice uh, an emphasis that I place in this message throughout um, I'm going to use the word Trinitarian in each of my sermon points. Um, not that um, the Trinity is overtly taught here, um, but uh, J- Jesus and the Father is overtly taught here as being God, and uh, the Holy Spirit's work, I will show you, uh, is, is right alongside there, all right? So remember, the main idea of the passage is that Jesus has absolute equality with the Father. Uh, it is nothing more or less than saying that Jesus is God himself, and um, that doctrine of the Trinity and the working of the Holy Spirit is continuously uh, running in the background of this whole story, all right? So let's go to our first point, which is the Trinitarian worker. And I get that from uh, the verse that says, uh, and greater works, uh, these will, he will show him. So let's look at verse 19. It says this, so Jesus said to them, we see that and we go, oh yeah, so Jesus said to him, that's obviously picking up a picking up part of the story. But that little word, so, is critically important for our understanding. So, Jesus said to them, um, the, the gospel writer, uh, John, and ultimately the Holy Spirit, is trying to show our souls something. Um, this is being recorded that we might see something about Jesus and who he is and what this gospel is all about. So, Jesus said to them, it, it, it necessarily hooks us to what has come before. And by the way, just a little aside, if, um, if the Holy Spirit is always working all things together for your good, if you are one of those who loves God and are the called according to his purpose, the Holy Spirit is working good in your life, if that's you, and um, since the Bible is living and active, God-breathed, and 
Uh, Since the Father is working, it says in verse 17, my Father is working until now, and I am working. Don't you think that has immediate impact on your life? I mean, this passage right here all those years ago, this really means something to you. Uh, if all those things are true, that God really is working like that and that the Savior is working. And so this word so, so Jesus said to them, that's a forensic answer. Something, 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 so Jesus said to them. Um, it's a legal reply to a legal charge. It says um, uh, in the previous verse, um, in verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking to kill him all the more. He said, my father is working until now and I am working. That's verse 17. That's why the Jews were seeking to kill him, Uh, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It can't be put more clearly that Jesus is making himself equal with God. Oh, maybe they misunderstood. No, they wanted to kill him because for them, they're saying there's one God and they forget of these hints of plurality. Um, in, in the Old Testament. And so it's distilled here in this, in this passage in verse 17, my father is working until now and I am working. Now, um, that might sound confusing to you, but it was not confusing to the hearers of this story. Um, that's why the Jews were seeking to kill him. Not only because he's breaking the Sabbath, but he is calling God his father. We'll talk about that more in a second. And he's making himself equal with God. Now, there's something right there that we can learn that Jesus does not back down from the charges. It says, rather, so he said to them. All right, so they want to kill him. And he doesn't say, oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't. <laughs> I might have been exaggerating a little bit. He doesn't say that. He doesn't back down. He doesn't shun um, the, the, uh, the application of, uh, of uh, deity to his person. Rather, he, he piles on top of it. And he says in verse 19, let's look at it again. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, that the son um, does likewise. Now we have to stop for an important theological note here. The main idea here is that Jesus is equal to the father, right? All right, and that's, that's what's being purported here by the gospel writer, ultimately the Holy Spirit, that Jesus has equality with the Father. He is of the same essence. He is of the same stuff. Believe it or not, that's a theological word that professors like, stuff. He's of the same stuff, whatever that means, um, of God. He's, he's the same nature, the same attributes. He shares those things with God. Um, there's an equality with the Father. But isn't it interesting that Jesus says... Um, I say to you, truly, truly, you know, hear me. Verily, verily, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only that which he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. It almost looks like Jesus is saying, hey, 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 you know, I'm really reliant on the father and so on. Is that against his point? Not at all. It supports his point. That's his his legal answer. They want to kill him because he's equating himself with God and claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath. Mark talks about that even more Oh, uh, candidly, um, but Jesus is not, not uh, diminishing himself in any way. Ra- rather, he's saying, whatever the Father does, I do too. I can't do anything of my own accord. I'm doing the Father's work. Just like you said earlier, uh, the Father's working and I'm working. He's not, say- he's not diminishing himself. He's saying, I'm equal to the Father. That is the point. Um, the Son can do nothing of his, uh, uh, on his own accord. Now, the term Godhead... 
um, is a many years old term. It's kind of like the old, old-timey word for Trinity. Trinity's not in the Bible either. And uh, why do we use the Trinity so freely? Because the Bible tr- teaches the, the doctrine of the Trinity freely. I mean, if you, are a, if you are a student of God's word, you cannot read through it without saying, huh, God, the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, Jehovah, Yeshua, um, is, uh, is, is God the Father, and he seems to be um, operating uh, in a way that uh, ordains and decrees and decides and selects and plans. That seems to be the role of God and the Father in the scriptures. And then the thoughtful reader will read on, and, and uh, you, you come to the, you, the new, not only the New Testament, but all these things that, that point toward the Savior that's going to come. And the Savior that's going to come, the Savior Messiah figure, is going to redeem. He's going to lay down his life. He's going to become accursed. He's going to be striped. He's going to take the place of sinners. He is executing the plan of God the Father. And so the, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but you look at it and you go, wow. Well, well, we see what Jesus is doing, and we see his claims of divinity. We see that his claims of divinity are backed up by supernatural acts. And then we also look at the Holy Spirit, who is hovering over the waters at creation. Uh, the Holy Spirit, who is, um, who is guiding David. The Holy Spirit, who is at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, who is um, giving prophetic utterance uh, to, to, the, to the prophets, to the scripture writers. Um, and so we have to have some kind of concept, some kind of word that can, you know, the, the, the plurality of God or the Godhead or the Trinity. Anyway, the Godhead, friends, is this idea where um, you, you've got the Father, you've got the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, the God, God the Father tends to decree and ordain things. The Son executes things. The Holy Spirit, what? Creates, gives life, illuminates truth, comforts, counsel, counsels. Um, is God's presence, is, is, is God's voice. Um, you, you have these roles within the Trinity. Those are economic roles, all right? That's the theological point. Those are economic roles. They each tend to function joyfully with one another. There's unity within the Godhead, economic roles, all right? But then there's also ontological, the, an ontological relationship, which means they're of the same stuff. They're of the same essence. It is one God. Um, there's an ontological relationship. They share all attributes and power. Uh, Jesus never diminishes himself. Um, he equates himself with the Father. Um, but there's this ontological relationship within the Godhead, economic and ontological. Does that all make sense? Very important things for us to understand, uh, understanding God. And Jesus will go on to explain in the verse, verse, verses and sermon points to come um, but, but I want to take a, a look at this through the lens of the text. So to apply it to our lives, um, there's something here that just has, has caused me to, to wonder in worship. Um, look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel all right, let's, let's think about that verse for a second. It's, it's profound. It, um, it, it, it'll make you tremble. The Father loves the Son, and the Father shows the Son all that the Father himself is doing. Now, who, just keeping the, keeping the people in, in place here. And greater works than these will the Father show the Son so that you may marvel. And uh, 
you know, I think about that and I, I'm like, it's just an, such an insight into the humanity of Jesus and how, how personal uh, the Savior really is. Um, you know that uh, Jesus had a human nature and a divine nature uh, in, in one person. And um, he knew things in his divinity. I mean, even when he was a baby in his mother's arms, he was still upholding the universe by the word of his power. All right? But in his humanity, he grew up. He learned things. He learned languages. He learned the Bible. He grew in wisdom and stature. I mean, he grew in his humanity. And so he knew things in his humanity, and he knew things in his divinity. And in his humanity, he didn't always know everything. And um, now at the end of his ministry, you'll find Jesus predicting his death, and he'll say that in three days, you know, he'll be, he'll be turned over to the, the, uh, and, and killed, and in three days he'll rise again, and, and he, he's got more specific things to say. But um, as he's living his earthly life and ministry, um, we, we don't know when he knew that the cross was the vehicle. I mean, we know that, that the cross was Roman execution, um, but Jesus didn't have all the information. Rather, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will the Father show the Son so that we might marvel. And uh, included in that is this accursed death on the cross. And uh, Jesus, Jesus learns these things in his humanity. The Father would be showing to his Son these things and uh, what an expenditure it would be uh, uh, for the Savior what he would have to go through, and uh, what, would, what would showcase God's glorious mercy and grace. I mean, it's just profound um, to think of how personal a Savior this is, that he's experiencing his full humanity, getting information as he lives that humanity. The Father is showing him greater works, harder works, scarier works, um, to, to become accursed, uh, what it is to drink the cup of God's wrath uh, Jesus is, is, is taking those things in that we might marvel. I mean, and I don't know if I've explained that very well, but do you see how personal the Savior is? Do you see how he was the only one eligible to do the work, that he lived the human life that we couldn't live so that he could lay it down in our place? It's just astonishing. Um, all right, our second point, um, the Trinitarian life giver. In verse 21, it says... Uh, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, one of the uh, things that perplexed religious onlookers uh, uh, um, about this Jesus is that uh, he was able to heal at all, um, not to mention his claim over the Sabbath itself. Uh, Jesus makes this claim that he's equal and divine, to, uh, divine and equal to God. They get it. Um, but he's also able to heal. And he backs up his comments with this supernatural ability. That must have been very frustrating. Um, it, it, he, he gives life. The Father gives life. The Son gives life also to whom he will. Um, in fact, in chapter 11, Jesus says, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And you know what happens next is that he proceeds to bring out an already stinky Lazarus from the tomb. He's claiming to be life and the giver of life. And then what does he do? He gives life. That had to have been frustrating. Jesus makes a claim and befuddlingly, he backs it up with supernatural power and authority. Um, let me ask you a question. Is God the Father alive? Yes, we have a living God. 
Living and active is his word, a living God, the one true God. Um, do you believe that Jesus is resurrected? I mean, you know, every Easter, pastors have to get up in the pulpit and have to do this big, long thing about uh, proofs of uh, the resurrection. And, and uh, they say the onus of, you know, uh, of uh, argument is on the other side and all that. I'm not sure that it is. But uh, um, do you in your heart believe that Jesus is resurrected? Well, you better. Because if he ain't resurrected, then the gospel is completely worthless. You just believe it in some other dead guy. There's lots of dead guys. Plenty of dead guys, plenty of dead guys, and lots of religions. But we got a living one. Uh, if he ain't living, uh, you're, you're, the gospel's not worth much. Now, um, what, if he's a, what if you say, well, what, he's alive in his divinity, but is he alive in his humanity? He better be alive in his humanity. You know why? Because if he ain't alive in his humanity, then you've got no hope for your humanity, for your eternity. All right, so one more observation on this um, about uh, life-giving, and I promise you a Trinitarian viewpoint. Uh, look at verse 20. As the Father loves the Son, shows him all that he is doing, greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. Now, what person of the Trinity tends to illuminate truth, tends to show things to our souls? I mean, um, it's, it's being shown to us that we may marvel. Who tends to show things to our souls? The Holy Spirit. And so in the background running in this story, you've got the Father and the Son. But who shows us things? The Holy Spirit. How about this? Um, uh, concerning giving life. What person of the Trinity is normally credited with giving breath, with renewing the mind, with quickening unto life? Who? The Holy Spirit. So yeah, it says the Father loves the Son, uh, the Father raises the dead, gives them life, the Son also gives life, but who else, who's the life giver? Uh, in, in the economy of the Trinity, it's the Holy Spirit. And so you've got this Trinitarian activity going on in this very passage. Um, how about this? It, it'll, we're going to go on to, uh, in our last point to look at um, how um, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Um, what about judging? Um, it says in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Doesn't that mean that the Holy Spirit of God is judging things? I mean, not coming back as the ultimate judge at the, at the end of time on the great day of the Lord, but does the Holy Spirit of God not judge? Does the Holy Spirit of God not um, discern if the Holy Spirit of God can be grieved, it means that the Holy Spirit of God judges if he can be grieved. And the point is that the triune God, the God of triunity, is involved in all of the saving of sinners. And that's the very point, that Jesus is involved in the saving of sinners. There's an ontological relationship, but a joyfully economic one uh, as well. In a way, <clears throat> the whole Trinity is the Savior, now, Jesus was the one who died on the cross. No one else died on the cross but Jesus. But in a Trinitarian way, um, who's the Savior? The triune God. Uh, in a way, who gives life? The triune God. In a way, who renews the mind? The triune God. In a way, who, who judges? The triune God. It's a Trinitarian gospel. That's why we say that in big, the big, in big church uh, every once in a while, that we have, we have a Trinitarian gospel. This is a Trinitarian worship service because it's the, it's the Trinity who is uh, doing the saving. Okay, so last point, the Trinitarian judge. Um, verse 22 uh, says, uh, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. 
uh, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Uh, That is not saying that the Holy Spirit never judges. Uh, It does not say that God never judges. God, of course, judges. But God is, what it's saying is, is that God has turned over all judging to the Savior, that the Savior might be honored equally as the Father. Again, the divinity of Jesus is the point. Now, about Jesus as, as judge, um, chapter 3, verse uh, 17. Uh, let's look at it. Flip, flip to it, if you would. Uh, you know what comes prior to that. 3.16, the biggie, you know, the end zone verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And here it is. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Um, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Um, Jesus is on par with God. God sent his son to the world, um, not to condemn the world, but to save um, about Jesus as judge, um, here's, a good, uh, here's a good quote for you. Jesus came to save a world that was already condemned. Um, uh, all of judgment has ter- been turned over to Jesus. That validates who he is as Savior, uh, God himself. Um, here's the gospel simply put, y'all. Um, You know, Russ Chatham uh, and I emailed back and forth. I think it was, uh, yeah, he sent me an email this this morning. And um, he was talking about his son having to deal with the reality of driving down the road and uh, a bullet flying through the windshield, didn't even know where it came from, uh, breaks the glass, breaks his glasses, uh, goes into his head, and uh, he almost loses his eye. And uh, Russ was saying... um, my son is having a hard time understanding why would God would allow something like this to happen. And Russ writes, I know that the reality is, why isn't this happening 100% of the time? But that's a hard thing to process when you're going through the trauma and you're the one in receipt of it, right? Um, but that's really, the, that's really the, the crux of it, friends. Um, why is there a big hurricane in Texas right now? The real question is, why isn't the whole thing a big hurricane? Why isn't the whole world just condemned? Why aren't all people just jettisoned away from the grace of God forever and ever and ever, enjoying nothing of his goodness, nothing of his grace, um, enjoying nothing of his revelation to us? Uh, Why isn't it just that all the time? The answer is God's full of grace. He sees this tiny little blue speck in space, and uh, he cares about the little inhabitants and about all of our little lives and our aspirations and our school and our children and all of our things we go through. And uh, he sees the, the hurt that comes from sin. He, in, in his mercy, he inter, interacts and he sends a savior to that little blue dot that takes on a nature like we have. And uh, ain't nobody perfect, right? Well, Jesus was perfect. Never sinned once. Never had an ill intent. Uh, never rebelled against God, even in his heart. Every thought was pure. Every dealing with a woman was pure. Every dealing with a a peer had no competition. And uh, he lived that perfect human life, and he was able to lay it down. He was eligible to lay it down in the sinner's place. You believe that, and you ain't condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. One Son of God, one way unto the God the Father, it is through Jesus Christ. Believing what he did on the cross was for you in your place. That is the gospel message. Um, I close with this. Uh, J.C. Ryle says this of, this, of this passage here, of Jesus talking um, to these religious uh, authorities here. Um, nowhere else in the Gospels do we find our Lord making such a formal, systematic, orderly, regular statement of his own unity with the Father, his divine commission and authority, and the proofs of his Messiahship. It is quite beautiful and wonderful, isn't it? Um, I encourage you to read it again. Um, but why is that so important? Here's why it's so important to your soul. Here it is, verse 24. And with this we close. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Let's pray. Our Father, we um, are humbled before you as we try to uh, consider who you are and uh, try to consider uh, wondrous and and, um, supernatural and otherworldly, divine, eternal things. It's hard for us, Lord. It's hard for us to understand why hard things happen in this life. It's hard for us to understand also why you would even be interested in us, but you are. And um, we pray, Lord, that um, you would uh, take the truth of your word, that you would press it into our souls, and that we would see the glory and majesty of the Savior, who is of the same stuff as you. And we pray, O oh God, that we would find ourselves more in love with the Savior, more submissive to him, and uh, a, a, a greater uh, tool wielded by his hand in salvation. For we pray it in his name and in the power of the Spirit, and to your glory, O Father. Amen.